We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which the Doyen interviews is recorded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I would also like to pay respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people tuning in and to all Indigenous people worldwide who are listening. Hello and welcome to the Doyen Interviews, the podcast that speaks to inspiring women from the art, architecture and design world. I'm Bridget Nathan and I'm glad you've tuned in. Thank you to Anon for the beautiful introductory music and to Alira Murray for the custom illustrations. Alira is a proud Noongwinna, Yorta Yorta and Torres Strait Islander woman who creates custom and bespoke fine line illustration. This podcast was made possible with support from the Alastair Swain Foundation. Find out more at alastairswain.org. There's no failure in art. There's no failure. You can't, no one can get inside your head and tell you how you can create. So that's why I think it's kind of like being a little superhero in your own life because you start with nothing and you go on to create all these amazing things through the skills that you are constantly grafting to your career. One of the things that I think that, that drives my art is the social inequity. So for instance, my recommendation to everything is to not have a dual system. So don't have private health insurance, don't have uh, private schools. Like, you know, really back your people. Like, you know, there were never elite schools in, in Aboriginal culture. People were gifted and talented. They would be able to do something. They were, but art was immersive and everyone was involved in it and then it was destroyed the ephemeral was destroyed after the event so the way that arts become uh, what it represents has changed fundamentally through the mechanism or the framework of capitalism and that is a problem but i think the fundamental shift in the way that the world is thinking is that we need to change our curriculums we need to incorporate more art we are going to need to get people to be more creative for mental health it relieves stress stress it's obvious that when you can create or be mentored by someone to to make something the endorphins that you um you know discharge make you feel better you know, um, I think we could all be a better society if more people create and not subjugate. So stop putting yourself under so much duress to have a five bedroom house and three cars and a holiday home and actually pull back and go, you know, maybe I might take a guitar lesson, you know, or maybe I might learn how to draw the human body or maybe I might do um, collage. I don't know, I think there are going to be fundamental shifts because there are going to be a lot of people out of work um, and I just believe people should really work hard on themselves to try and do something creative every day, every day. See, I go to the beach, I look for love heart rocks. I always find a love heart rock, but I go looking for it. I, that's creative. Welcome to the next episode of The Doing and Interviews. In this conversation, I had the chance to speak with the amazing Dr. Bronwyn Bancroft, a Bangjalung woman and artist. She shares with us some of her key creative projects, which have shaped her lifelong commitment to celebrating Aboriginal culture, nurturing people and storytelling through her arts practices. This episode stretches as far back as 1992, when Bronwyn worked on unique and creative illustrations, which were used as public health resources to spread awareness of the AIDS epidemic. We also discuss her work Gift Given, which at its time of completion in 2006 was the largest mural in the Southern Hemisphere, and it still is. This public arts project involved in-depth community consultation, and in this episode, Bronwyn shares her thoughts on engagement and the appreciation of accessible art within architecture. We also discuss her work Earth, Wind, Fire and Water, which is integrated into the atrium of the Royal North Shore Hospital in St. Leonard's, New South Wales. We discuss her process on this project, her values and her thoughts on how art can provide meaning to users of space. In this episode, 
We also look at Bronwyn's creative outlook and life lived as an artist to share her journey and her approach to living a creative, meaningful and healthy life. We speak about what creativity adds to your life, how it can help mental health and the value of the arts in a 2020 COVID world. With many exciting projects currently on her plate, Bronwyn spoke to me from her beautiful Byron Bay studio, which was full of art and colour, as you could imagine it would be. Thank you, Bronwyn, so much for your time today. It would be great if you could begin with introducing yourself and discussing a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, hi, um, or Jingawali, as we say, Bundjalung. Um, hello, um, my name's Bronwyn Bancroft. Um, I'm a Bundjalung artist. Um, my mum is Scottish. My dad was Aboriginal from near Grafton. Um, I've spent my whole life creating art um, since I was a very small child and I've been courageous enough to be a full-time artist, um, yeah, from the age of 32 um, where I yeah, embarked on being an artist um, in a full-time capacity, which is not the smartest thing to do when you have two dependent children <laughs> um and uh basically i've lived in sydney a long time but i moved back to country um three years ago so i currently live in a rainforest of, um, on mount jerusalem near mullumbimby and i have my studio in byron bay um where i'm currently sitting yeah it looks amazing i can see some of your artwork in the background and um, yeah, it's crazy. I've got like heaps of stuff going on here. It's like the, the biggest desk ever and that's my apron. <laughs> <laughs> it's a work of art in itself. <laughs> um, yeah, you strike me as someone who's fully living a creative life. Would you say that? Without a doubt. Um, I think yesterday I, um, I think it was the first I'm 62, so it was the first day I'd had off in six weeks. Um, so I would say that I'm fairly driven. I, I, I work, I write, I do poetry, I create artworks, I book illustrate. I have three children. My son has a child. So um, with COVID, they just came up about six weeks ago, so we were all really lucky to get together as a family, which was fantastic. And I'm totally committed to a creative life in it embellishes the life that I've got, but it also makes tracks for history um, and allows people to have some insight um, through my eyes of the journey that I've lived and perhaps, you know, impart a modicum of, you know, interest in people to be able to learn more about Aboriginal culture in this country. Wow. When you talk about Aboriginal culture in this country and um, also being a woman, are there some examples through your artwork that you could talk a little bit about to unpack that um, for the audience, perhaps through one project or one, one approach? Uh, it's very difficult because everything that I've ever done has been immersed in um, the love for the environment and also the, um, well, I don't call myself a feminist. I call myself mm -hmm. a womanist because I believe in women. Yeah. Um, I've been fighting the good fight for um, younger people. My daughter's 32 and she is amazing. And they're the people that I, I crusaded for when I was her age. Um, we've always been given the thin edge of the wedge as women and we need to reclaim our power. So my existence alone and my success in across many areas, which I funded myself um, through really hard work, is to reinforce um, the wisdom that we inherently have as the makers of sons and, and you know, the, the people that we make babies. That is the most amazing thing that anyone can do. Um, we exist as women. We, we create environments. We paint. And because we live in such a weird um, time frame at the moment where everything is skewed or was skewed to capitalism, women um, just, I don't think that all the women that I know that are creators are not out there as much as men. They're just not as pushy. Like they, they, they want, they're doing it. They're doing really great work and everything. But that sort of aggressive male dominance is probably the reason why 
so many dudes are there. Like, um, I'm happy for people to be creative, but I would like, I would like a gender equality across the board in everything. Mm. I don't just think that it exists in art, um, that it should exist in art. I also think um, coming, you know, from an Aboriginal perspective, the um, struggles that you have, because I grew up in a small country town, so you can't hide from racism in a small country town. I'm the last of seven children. I have four degrees um, and I just um, won a coveted, you know, Sydney University medal. I don't try to... uh, I'm not achieving these things for anybody else in the external world. I'm doing it because I have a thirst for knowledge. But I also remember my father often saying to me, and he's been dead now for a, a long time, over 30 years, that you have to do three, you have to do your work three times better than Whitey to be accepted. Wow. So having four degrees and he wasn't allowed to go to school in the country. That was my dad. My my dad was not allowed to be educated because he was Aboriginal, right? And then my three children have gone to university. And my youngest is 21. She's just about to finish her arts degree at the National Art School, thank goodness, and, um, and get out of Sydney. But the pressures brought to bear can't belong to one singular um, piece of art because... Everything about what I do is a journey about momentum and shifting people's ideas and places and the way that they think. And I'm definitely not doing it. Um, I don't do any of my art for other people. I do it to create a translatable understanding of my journey and my family and my history in this country. And that's, that's it's a, a woman's struggle but it's a commitment that I've made for a very long time now, over three or four decades. Mm, I think it's amazing um, like, to look at what you've done and, yeah, it's great to hear you talk, talk about it in that way. Um, another thing that I'm really interested in sort of following on from that is this idea of the creative life. I've got you on Instagram and I think I saw you post something recently that was about mental health and being creative and this idea of the journey what does being creative mean to you or do you have any comments on what being creative does to us as people um, in terms of being healthy and being healthy yeah, means many things to many people, but what does yeah. it mean to you? I remember that post because I took it up in my mezzanine and I had like a heap of artwork on the table and government departments, uh, governments during the COVID, ex- the whole COVID experience have consistently denied the creative arts. So over 40% of arts workers have lost their jobs, which is criminal, and there's been no recompense. And um, I've always maintained that uh, creativity should be um, an integral part of everyone's life, irrespective of what you do. Um, Even if the creativity looks like a walk on the beach and viewing um, shells and rock forms and then coming back and doing a drawing, I've just been for an hour-long walk on the beach. I've come back in Byron Bay and got my Kakadu Plum takeaway, fantastic, you know, bio cup, really healthy food. Um, I have a children's book to complete, which my daughter has written, so I'm illustrating that at the moment. Yeah. I'm also currently working. I'll grab it, actually. Okay. Uh, I'm also working on a couple of pieces, which really, whoa. Wow, amazing. Yeah, so, are really incredible. Yeah, so that, I mean, I've got heaps of stuff, but that's for a welfare um, rights organisation. So what I do with my creativity is I work in the humanities. So I don't do anything commercial. Right. I work in Aboriginal health. I work across um, all health and education um, areas. Um, and this particular piece of work that I'm doing is for welfare rights. So it's about an organisation protecting the rights of people who are going to be susceptible and were susceptible before COVID but will now be exceptionally susceptible. Mm. Say that fast. Um, So all of the work that I do, I think, has always been about elevating equality across the social spectrum. I am keenly interested in 
um, diminishing any inequality, uh, irrespective of how we are placed historically in this country. And we know that the guilt that people live with is the paradigm, historical paradigm that people have been living on this, you know, when they say we've been here for seven generations. Well, you know, 60,000 years, seven generations, no understanding, no treaty about like taking the land, saying that we were invisible, smallpox, pandemic, um, you know, issuing notices to confine people. These are the things we must, uh, you know, turn our attention to across the world is the treatment of Indigenous people um, as candidates for brutal, brutal behaviour. So when I work with my art, the major impetus for it is to try to elevate awareness and make change, um, especially in the areas of health, education. Um, they've been my troop. Uh, two primary focuses and obviously I'm an advocate for the arts and I I have sat on many boards from the National Gallery of Australia to um, many many boards um, and it's most of them voluntary um, and I believe in volunteering because I think that you know sometimes you know there isn't the money to pay people with expertise and skill um, I think it's a forgotten um, art in itself is the art of giving. Um, so I'm very much a, a giving person um, to the wider society. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a committed campaigner to, to, to drive inequality from our lives. I, I think it, all of us need to, we just need to meet like a beautiful dance and, you know, somehow, you know, discard the history but through knowledge and truth mm. and it has to be done properly and we've, we've just been skirting around the issue for 250 years and I'm over it so I'm a bit impatient let's just get on with the job everyone knows what happened let's let's get organized and do something fantastic for the world yeah that's where I'm at yeah um definitely really powerful words <laughs> um when you talk about your art it almost sounds to me, my impression is that it's almost like your art is um, acting as an advocate for people through, um, you know, what you're explaining, what you're involved in, but also through the product and what people can access in terms of um, health campaigns. And um, one of your uh, more um, older projects that I saw was uh, working on the campaigns for AIDS. 1992, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was that like? And what sort of mediums did you use? And uh, yeah, are you able to talk a little bit about what it was like at that at that time? Yeah, um, it was crazy. I mean, we, you know, a lot of my friends died. Um, oh. You know, a lot of my friends died from AIDS. Um, dancers, and you know, it it was a tr a tragic time for us as um, as artists and artistic people, um, and particularly in Sydney where it was quite rampant. Um, and I remember very clearly that they had this thing called the Grim Reaper campaign and the, the guy came out with the scythe and, I'm going to kill everyone. And I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing to people? You're petrifying them. Like, that is disgusting. And I, even now I've, I've got things on my skin um, going, that is the wrong way to go about it, people. So um, the Department of Family, Community and Family, Community and something, anyway, they change their names all the time, but yeah. um, they approached me to do three, education, caring um, and prevention were my, um, the, the images. So I used really bright, bold, colourful, uh, they were sad imagery because people were around a funeral in the, in the um, caring one. But it was done in such a way as to be completely opposite the Grim Reaper that the government campaign, wow. um, which I thought. Um, and we launched it in Darwin um, at the AIDS, um, you know, conference there in 92. And it was, they're great. I mean, you know, they, we distributed heaps of them. Um, and I think historically people just took them home and stuck them on their walls. <laughs> um, but I. 
if it did any way to even prevent, you know, just one person from contracting the disease, then that was worth the job. Um, but it was quite uh, alarming to see the way that the government was scaring people. It's a bit like now. I mean, I stopped watching the television because I was like so worried that I wasn't going to see my daughter again and my grand who lives in Sydney, who's just been with me for four months, yeah. that the whole terrifying elements of the pandemic reminded me so much of the AIDS, um, oh. you know, moment. It was like, you know, people were dropping left, right and centre. I remember a friend of mine saying they, like these were gay men, and said they used to have a, um, you know, a monthly dinner with 12 of their friends at the end of the AIDS epidemic and that time there were two people that were left wow. from wow. the 12. So a whole history of friendship, love, uh, understanding, caring, 10 people out of those 12 people that lived at that dinner table were no longer existing. Wow. So it was bigger, I think, bigger than people actually realised and I think the way that they, um, there was a, a very, very fierce persecution of gay people. My daughter's gay and I have no problem with people's sexuality. They can do whatever they like. It's their body, their lives, their thing. But I, I do not like it when governments take it upon themselves to encourage people to dislike people for being themselves. I just don't know that you can be anybody else. <laughs> yeah. I kind yeah. of think that if that's the way you're made, I reckon that's the way you're made. So, you know. um, yeah, so it was, it was very interesting um, for me to do that. But, like, every step of your career... Um, it's hard. I mean, it's hard being an artist. I mean, you know, I, you know, you, I don't have any superannuation. Um, I always live on the edge. I never know where, where my money's coming from. And you know, hopefully I get a commission, which has been keeping me alive at the moment, actually doing commissions. So um, it's, it's always going to be a tough gig when you don't, I, I mean, I don't come from any privilege whatsoever. Um, so I've never had, you know, a leg up or a parent to even offer me 500 bucks. So, you know, there's, there's been none of that parental support um, or any kind of um, support in terms of, like, uh, assisting with the career. So um, it's all self-made, you know, and that's, that's the way you've got to do it, rock and roll. Yeah, I think um, it's amazing. Do you think that that kind of drive or that kind of... Um off a cliff kind of sensation, which I um, I haven't experienced myself because I don't run my own architecture practice, but a lot of directors have told me that sometimes it, you know, have conveyed a similar feeling that, you know, you know what's coming up until a certain month and then it's sort of um, who knows. Um, yeah. Does that kind of energy, do you think that that has fed into some of your, like, to your work? Like has that shaped the way that things are or has that been sort of like an influence into because when I look at your work, I sense that it's full of it's full of life. It's full of energy. It's 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 very um, mesmerizing. It's my happy place. Yeah, yeah. It's my happy place. I think to answer your question, the the primary drive for my work is to ultimately record the environment, my the country that I live in. My family's history, which is because that was made invisible, um, I want that to be um, continually monitored by me in an artistic fashion. And also I want to curate my own life to uh, create the artworks of art that I want to present to people and how I want them to see. I'm not popular I, I don't want to be popular. One of my friends, Sally Morgan, said, oh, God, Bronnie, don't become famous, just become well-known because fame absolutely obliterates you. But being well-known, people go, oh, you know, I wonder, where did I, have I seen you before or whatever? And it's like, no, no, you haven't. <laughs> and you can just um, motor away on your own stuff continuously and, and just run your own little race and... I'm not worried about the insecurity because we believe that our old people are always predicating what's happening. 
So whenever I feel as if uh, things are kind of desperate, I'll ask my ancestors if they, like somehow people pray, Mm. I will ask my ancestors to assist me when I don't ask very much, very often or at all. And then suddenly, you know, this the weirdest thing will happen and, and you know, some obscure 5,000 bucks will drop into my account from some random moment which was not connected to anything that I was doing and I'm like, okay, we're, we're going again. Um, so it's like it's just beautiful to have the support of my old people to continuously back me up um, when I'm in dire straits, things come in. But they've always been confirmed with me spiritually that I will never, ever win any money or have any money, but I will always have to work. They always say that when I buy a lotto ticket, I sneak in, they get a lotto ticket, and they're like, they're, they're turning me in my head and, and I'm not crazy, and they're going, you know, you're going to have to work the rest of your life and really hard. So it's kind of... Uh, it's kind of cheeky game, but it's also like, you know, they've kind of got your back because otherwise I would never have got this far. Um, and the conditions of this is that I have to put in more than I take mm. and I must put into my community and I must put into the wider society and I must contribute um, as, as much as I can without um, obviously you know, uh, debasing myself or hurting myself or wearing myself out. So um, it's a commitment, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, as you're talking, another one of my questions was about this idea of nature, which you've kind of already touched on, but nature and the circle of life. Um, and I guess to go back to the idea of being a woman, um, are they themes that have been like current throughout all of your work are there particular moments where things like that have been more um prevalent like perhaps when you became a mom or um yeah different times in your life yeah um well look you know nature is everything i mean i live on the top of a rainforest um last year we had threats of fire i just managed to secure the property with a huge loan from the bank don't know how i managed that one winkle winkle <laughs> and I just had to walk away uh, from the whole thing. I, I think I'd had it for about a month and I was like, it's going to get burnt down or it's not going to get burnt down. So I was quite philosophical. Um, and uh, even though it's material stuff, I wasn't concerned. So in that way, I, I don't fear nature. I um, work with nature and if... Nature wants to claim something back because I'm living there as a human, then that has to be the way that it is. Yeah. Um, I've always been an environmental activist. Um, I've always been a person that believes in women. My daughter runs an event called The Returning um, at the property where she has over 100 women doing, you know, know your vagina classes, death walking, um, you know, uh, the the that runs over two days, it's incredible. And I do the uh, welcome, welcome, well, not the welcoming, but I do the smoking for 100 women. It's exhausting. Um, but that's my commitment to them to clean their um, auras so that when they walk in on our country, they have the right to hear, see and feel the same things that we do mm. as women. So um, my commitment to ecology, like I had home births, you know, uh, water births with my last child at 42, wow. I'm committed to reproductive uh, women's rights over their bodies. I'm committed to women being part of that circular change. I'm into women getting power behind each other. I'm not interested in people who talk a lot about, you know, women's empowerment. I like to, I, I want people to do stuff. Mm. just do it don't talk about it just do it you know if you see a person that you're in a firm and you're the female boss and you see someone doing really well as a, as a young woman and trying really hard elevate them yeah. you know go walk over and say hey you're doing really well amazing let me support you mm. um so yeah no it, I, I mean it's totally i've my whole life is immersed in 
everything that I love. I'm just exceptionally lucky. And, you know, I've got beautiful children, which I've worked very hard for a family. Uh, it takes a lot to make a good family. And I come from, a, you know, a very large family of seven children and I'm the last. Um, and that psychologically leaves you in disrepair, being the last of, you know, that amount of kids. Yeah. Um, and I think just it, the, the thing that draws, drives all of it is to I came into this onto this earth I, I don't, didn't know what I was meant to be but I've encouraged myself to be committed to making change while I'm alive and hopefully leave a couple of you know my three warriors here to carry on after I'm not here um, and that's been emblematic of the way that I live my life so I think it's been it's been a pleasure it's been hard work, but it's definitely been a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you talk about change, do you see art as something that can make change or is it much more about the process of making art and the process of engaging with people that can generate change? Like what is it do you think that's um, causing shifts um, through the artwork that you're creating? Well, Firstly, one of the things that I think that, that drives my art is the social inequity. So, for instance, my recommendation to everything is to not have dual systems. So don't have private health insurance, don't have uh, private schools. Like, you know, really back your people. Like, you know, there were never elite schools in, in Aboriginal culture. People were gifted and talented. They would be able to do something. They were, but art was immersive. Mm. And everyone was involved in it and then it was destroyed. The ephemeral was destroyed after the event. So mm. the way that arts become uh, what it represents has changed fundamentally through the mechanism or the framework of capitalism. Mm. And that is a problem. Mm. But I think the fundamental shift in the way that the world is thinking is that we need to change our curriculums, we need to incorporate more art, we are going to need to get people to be more creative for mental health. It relieves stress. It's obvious that when you can create or be mentored by someone to, to make something, the endorphins that you, um, you know, discharge make you feel better, you know. Um, I think we could all be a better society if more people create and not subjugate. So stop putting yourself under so much duress to have a five-bedroom house and three cars and a holiday home and actually pull back and go, you know, maybe I might take a guitar lesson, you know, or maybe I might learn how to draw the human body or maybe I might do um, collage. Um, I don't know. I think we there are going to be fundamental shifts because there are going to be a lot of people out of work mm. um, and I just believe people should really work hard on themselves to try and do something creative every day, mm. every day. See, I go to the beach, I look for love heart rocks. I always find a love heart rock, <laughs> but I go looking for it. I, that's creative, you know, that's creative. Is that kind of what you're saying, that everybody can be creative and everybody is in, intrinsically creative? Absolutely. And creative in that, you know, maths is creative. Like people say to me, oh, you're an artist, um, that's easy. And I'm like, are you kidding? I, I'm a mathematician. I'm a scientist. Um, it's the, the, the dimensions, the work, the relatability, the balance, the intelligence, the concept rationales around how you want to develop and drive your own work this is highly intelligent work and it doesn't just exist as oh you're a painter or you're an artist or whatever we all have that element of creativity and imagination with in our dna and I, I you know i used to do a lot of teaching with younger kids and they'd always say i can't draw a straight line miss and i'd say well don't don't draw a straight line. Go around like this. And they're like, oh, I never thought about it like that. And then all of a sudden they're doing all this stuff. And one of the teaching 
rational, well, one of my teaching things was that the kid that was struggling in the class of, say, maybe 17 or 18, that was the person who got my major focus. The person who was a fast accelerator, you know, overachieving kind of person would be, their stuff would be picked up in the first two minutes of the, you know, the, the, um, the day. And then working with the child who was struggling a little bit, their work would be picked up and say, and everyone would be like, oh, my God, Joey, you did it. Oh, my God, Joey. <laughs> and suddenly you've elevated everyone because you're bringing everyone together to succeed all as one. And that is, there's no failure in art. There's no failure. You can't, no one can tell you what's inside your head. They can't tell you it's good or bad. Critics suck. Go away. Go away, critics. I don't like negativity. Um, no one can get inside your head and tell you how you can create. So that's why I think it's kind of like being a little superhero in your own life because you start with nothing and you go on to create all these amazing things through the skills that you are constantly grafting to your career. Um, and I often say it that you only have to live long enough to do well as an artist, you know, if you keep working, <laughs> just keep at it. But you just, I mean, if, if you die and like our expect, life expectancy rates aren't, you know, they're 10 to 12 years less than non-Aboriginal people, you've got to think about it sometimes. And like I've probably got a couple of hundred paintings still left in me, so... I'm keen to live a little bit longer and, you know, um, definitely thinking that maintaining a creative career is, is a, it's been a wonderful journey for me anyway. And I think a lot of people could benefit from doing more, even writing stories about their mum and pops, like just, the, just definitive little histories, just, cute things you know it's just nice to to reclaim your life and put it out there in a creative way mm. do you sort of think that being creative and engaging with creative practices helps you to find out who you are more absolutely um when you you know doing a huge um some of the projects that I've had to do like are phenomenal and, you know, often I'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning um, for a period, maybe, well, the duration of I, that I'm doing it. So maybe six weeks, 3 o'clock in the morning, work 14, 15-hour days, go to bed, clonk, get back oh, up at yeah. 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it's my work practice, but it means that I can get stuff done. So when I was working as a full-time artist with, with my two children, I used to get up at three o'clock every uh, every morning, and then by seven o'clock when I woke them, I would have had four hours work done. Wow! So five fours are twenty hours, you know, a week that I had done before I even started my day. Wow! Cool. Yeah. So uh, it really helped because you know I wanted to go to their school and I wanted to be a part of their school, and and obviously I was working at home on the dining room table, and people are like, "Where's your studio?" And I'm like, "You're in it." Because I couldn't afford a studio. Yeah. So I painted on my kitchen table for 25 years. We never had a meal on the kitchen table. On the dining room table, we just <laughs> ate in the lounge. Dreadfully was for dinner. No. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, well, the kids, I mean, they're all pretty creative. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it harmed any of us, you know, in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Oh, it sounds, sounds amazing. Yeah, I listened to your podcast with your daughter I think um, you spoke a little bit about that and about your background and um, definitely. Ella, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that it was so great for them, but it was a matter of survival and we didn't have a choice, you know, so we just had to, um, you know, there was never any whinging about it or whatever that, because they knew that, that that's where, you know, their money was coming from. I was their support. Mm. So. Yeah. It's amazing that you could, like, that they could, grow up with that as well I think um it's really it's like a lot of people have commented recently that you know people everyone most people have been working from home and you know if you've got kids they see what you're doing um which is yes, yes <laughs> changing things exactly but that's true that's I've never thought of that because we had no it, it, it's a completely transparent life yeah like you know 
because, you know, the parents normally go to work and then the kid goes to aftercare or whatever and they never see each other until only on the weekend. Yeah. And some strange coincidence, we just happen to be related. <laughs> and then uh, our life was just immersed in art, like the, everything. Like the kids would wake up sometimes, I'd, I'd get super creative and then I'd get into a hyperdrive and then I'd decide to change all of the house and the paintings while I was sleeping and they'd wake up the next day and everything would be changed and they'd be like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting life. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, we've spoken so much about you and who you are, which is um, really great. So I won't go um, too far into my questions about your works that have involved architecture because I sort of feel like we've already spoken about such great content but just to touch yeah. on it a little bit um yeah I, I noticed that you have done some work for example you know um uh having art in hospitals so murals yeah. but also um, a glazing and a lift shaft which I thought was amazing uh, like beautiful um and yeah. there's another pro a public art project that you worked on where you um, there's a mural that's, you know, on the whole facade and it's, I'll definitely share um, some, you know, links to your website with my listeners. Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, that's called the gift given, that one. Yeah, that's that's at Tempe, yeah, underneath the international airport, yeah. 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 Um, what, what do you sort of, what are your thoughts on the relationship between your art and architecture, like through these different projects that you've done? Um, do you think that, it, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a very, probably another whole <laughs> whole um, conversation, but what does it mean to you to have your art in buildings or to be working with buildings? Do you think that adds another layer? Do you think that it, yeah, what, like, what are your thoughts on that? I want to meet as many female architects and have as much work as I can in all public schools, places, hospitals, private, I don't care. Primarily, I think I'd like to see... Um, it in the public domain because I think um, the, the look, there's I'll just relate one simple thing it was about the Royal North Shore Hospital earth wind fire water and basically the elements that control and shape our lives you know um, and that large piece is 16 meters by nine meters um, made up of a lot of panels and I had to do the artwork at I think 4.5 meters by point 4.4 to get the relatability to um, put it around the drum to enlarge it. Wow. Um, to make the glass panels, the glass film go in that. And then when it came to the launch of it, so I project managed that. I did the artwork. I met with all the architects. I, I did all of that for a, not a very large sum. Mm. Um, and then when it came to the opening, I wasn't invited. What? Opening of my own work at the Royal North Shore Hospital. So these Why are not? one of the, well, who knows? Um, so my mum was sick, so I flew to, to where I grew up and I was in a hospital on that day. So I was slightly pissed off, but, um, I also realized that they, there's no uh, respect for artists in mm. that way. So the more that you can do with those things and assert the place for art to be in those primary health areas is essential going forward. The, what I wanted to say in the story was that one of my friend's father died there. Mm -hmm. And they got back to me and said that, that when they were having a moment of contemplation, they stood in front of my um, artwork and it felt reassuring. Mm -hmm. Now, if that one person, to me, that's enough. If, if my art reached out to somebody that is in the midst of grief and assisted in some way, then I have justified doing that artwork. Mm. Full stop. Mm. So the travesty of being disrespected by the consortium of people that organised the day is definitely uh, my value system rests more with the people who contact me to tell me how much they were moved by it. So uh, that's 
just because I'm a person of the people. I'm not, you know, I'm not an elitist. I have no aspirations to be an elitist or superior to anybody else. So I think I want to do much more. Actually, I've got a couple of commissions um, which are confidential at the moment that I'm that I'm going for, which are pretty exciting. So um, one I have, but um, and I can't divulge the information, but it will be. It, it's it's pretty big. Um, and it's kind of starting to cement my dream of integrating art into public spaces um, and just, yeah, elevating, elevating artists and creativity um, in the mix of, you know, where we live, you know, cement and yeah. glass. Yeah, so um, I'm definitely keen and, you know, to, to keep moving forward um, with architects for any projects, really, um, I just think it's super exciting, and I, I mm. I've loved doing these major major artworks. Yeah, mm. sure. Oh, amazing! What? Well, yeah, like <laughs> I'd love to see more of your stuff. It's been really great to research it and to um, to look. I think sometimes as architects, like we don't always know that much about the body of work of what artists do. But then, for example, in this interview. I didn't actually know that you had done that uh, until I purposely researched you. And then I was like, yeah. oh, wow, like there's that, wow, this is so closely related to architecture. So I think, yeah, uh, yeah and like, like what really interests me in architecture at the moment, because I'm still in the early days of it, is, you know, starting to be the person who gets all of the, con you know, all of the fee proposals from consultants and says, you know, you, I'll choose you. You're, you know, we'll pay you X, which is, you know, often in total higher than our fees, but where our power is, is actually being able to make those choices. And so, yeah. you know, when I look at your work and I see that huge mural, to me, I'm thinking, oh, that means so much to have an artist that has been involved to do that. Whereas it could have, it could have been um, a commercial painter, could, you know, whether you did it yourself or not, but like the, the intent of it and the design of it could have been done by someone who's not an artist who doesn't mean that much. So yeah, yeah. Well, you know, David Humphreys and Carol Ruff um, were artists who've been involved in um, doing a lot of work, and we like they basically did the template for me, and then we um, so I drew what I wanted after average. Like I had to do a lot of consultation. Um, and that's one of the things I'm big on. But like I say to people, I'm not interested in winning an election. I'm just interested in consulting. Yeah. Um, with you know, just to make sure that I get it right. Feedback. Um, and then the local council, because um, that's quite old. That's called mm. gift given. That. Um, yeah. When we did it, they were like, I had to lead with the paints that I wanted to use, and obviously the colours and. Then everyone was petrified. I mean, you know, uh, I, I just won't say anything negative, but, you know, everyone was, well, not everyone, but some people were concerned about graffiti. Right. And I said, look, if the, if, if, if the art is owned by the community, you will get no graffiti. Mm. If they like it, they won't disrespect me and what you've done they won't tag it. Mm. Now, it hasn't been tagged ever. Wow, cool. Ever. Wow. Yeah. Ever. So I think we need to trust more in our younger people. And this is a long time ago and I was already working with disadvantaged um, young people, you know, in, in poor schools um, like 15 or 16 years ago. And travelling to try and, you know, impart with them that, that, that I had their back, that I believed in them. You know, if they had no self-esteem, how could we make that better? Like, how could we drive them to think that they had a life and a purpose that is worth living? Mm -hmm. um, when you're constantly told that you're never going to make it anywhere and you're no good at anything, it's like, it's it kind of, it's really depressing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we need to... Um, yeah, elevate. I mean, that's the largest mural in the southern hemisphere. That yeah, that right. yeah, that gift given. Wow. Um, so that was an epic journey. Um, but everything's epic, you know. Illustrating forty-two books, you know, um, and you know, never really get that kind of the kind of acclaim that a non-Aboriginal um, author who's probably done twenty books. Right. I would never have that comparative thing. And I'm constantly mm. petitioning them saying, 
where's the artists of colour? Where's the First Nation people? Mm -hmm. Where's your representation? It doesn't make me any friends, but I'm really big on diversity and I'm a bit sick of, you know, red umbrellas and red gumboots and little white kids playing in the rain. We're in Australia. We're not in England. Um, and it'd be really great um, to have more diversity across all spectrums where we embrace each other for our cultural differences, not our indifferences. And this is where we need to start finding common threads to each other's stories so that we can claim it as women, mm. um, you know, and, and start there. I mean, you know, half the world is made up of women. I mean, that's a pretty good context to start, you know, making change just on that one platform. Mm. Then you've got people of creativity and, you know, like there's a whole lot of different levels, but for a start, women could be the platform that could create the next change just by mm. uniting with each other and finding commonalities and, um, yeah, things in common. Mm. Yeah, I think um, that's such a good way to end. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you have any advice for people who are wanting to be creative? But I sort of feel like everything you've said has been... Um, amazing advice and I'm so grateful for everything that you've shared with me and I know that people are just going to eat all of this information up with their ears so um, I'm really really thank you. No that's great yeah no that's great it's been a pleasure so you know let's just get it together as they used to stay in the 60s you know let's just <laughs> get stuff done you know like make change and um, yeah I so wanted to be a better world than it is now because there's not a lot of good stuff out there for people that don't have that are disadvantaged by the society so yeah we, we it's our responsibility to change that yeah okay, thanks I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bronwyn Bancroft I learned so much so thank you Bronwyn again for your time and for sharing your expertise in this current climate if you would like to learn more about Bronwyn Bancroft, head over to her website, www.bronwynbancroft.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Doyen Interviews.